You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Treasure. Hello my radio friends, I'm glad you have joined me today for another in the series Give Me the Bible. Have you ever been treasure hunting? No, you may not have been deep sea diving in search of sunken galleys. You may not have been involved in mining for gold or opal or some other precious metal or stones. You may not have been searching through old books for treasure maps, but I suspect you have, in some form or another, been treasure hunting of a different sort. Perhaps you wanted a particular type of car and looked and looked for it until you found it. Perhaps it was some special clothing and you went from shop to shop until you found something that satisfied you. Maybe it was some furnishing, maybe a piece of artwork, even something as simple as a clock. I suspect that just about everybody has invested time and money into getting something that they regarded of worth, something which, when obtained, is cherished and protected. Some people treasure things of a different nature. Things like their good looks, their educational achievements, their hair, or some special abilities, or even something like an independent nature. One way to determine what you treasure is whether or not you would take that item with you if you had to suddenly evacuate your home. It is almost certain that most of us would grab something we treasured if we had to evacuate in an emergency. What we treasure is to do with our priorities. It's a sad fact of life that all the things that are generally treasured are lost. As people age, they lose their good looks and their hair, especially men, their independence, and Alzheimer's certainly takes away any educational achievements. But what about all those wonderful possessions? Well, all those things are lost at death. They are, at best, temporary because human beings are temporary. You know, the Bible has a number of things to say about treasure. In Proverbs 10 verse 2 is a short statement. It says, ill-gotten treasures are of no value. For example, thieves break into a jewellery shop and steal rings and necklaces and so on. What good does it do for them? 
Another example, a corrupt politician gets kickback payments for organising a shady deal. What happens to the money? It only goes to further satisfy his selfish ambitions. Or an employer underpays his workers. The employer gains wealth, but again that wealth only satisfies his selfish ambitions. Or an employee cheats and steals from his employer. What good does that do except satisfy his selfish ambitions? In reality, ill-gotten treasure doesn't satisfy. There is always the desire for more, more, more. What one person regards of great value may mean nothing to someone else. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 25 and 26 is a short summary about Moses. Now Moses, as you may know, was a Hebrew but was brought up by the Egyptian king's daughter. He was being groomed to become the next king, that is, the pharaoh of Egypt. Although Moses could have had could have anything, fame, fortune and whatever he might have desired, he chose instead to serve God. In doing so, he was subject to criticism, hardship, privation and no home to call his own. We read, Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You know, many people would regard him as a stupid fool. But it seems that Moses had other goals, other treasures in mind. The same goes for the martyrs who were prepared to give up their most treasured possession, that is, life itself, because they had other priorities. This may be hard to understand for some, but we'll deal with that later. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6 and verses 19 to 21, is a statement by Jesus. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Now, this passage needs some explaining. It says that we should prioritise our lives to place the highest values on preparing for eternity. After all, 
the lives we have on this earth are but a drop in the ocean compared to what God promises to those who are faithful to him. It also highlights that what people treasure is only transitory, as our lives are transitory. The passage points out that what we treasure will determine the direction our lives will take. If someone treasures fame and fortune, then the activities of that person will be striving to attain those things. Of course, it's okay to have nice things, but if we value those things over the value we place on serving God, we are building up treasures of things that will not last. Either the things will deteriorate or we will deteriorate. Some people treasure money and strive to get as much of it as they can. But there begins a problem, as the Bible so rightly points out. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's found in 1 Timothy 6.10. Notice that the Bible does not say that money is the root of evil, but the love of money is. It's not, not a sin to be wealthy, but it is sinful when people are so engrossed in the getting and keeping of money that they have little desire to help the needy. It's just as bad when someone exploits the less fortunate in order to gain more money. In Matthew 6.24 is recorded where Jesus spoke wise words about the subject of money. He said, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And here's the clincher, you cannot serve both God and money. And how true that is. Those who devote their lives to getting rich don't have much time for God. Those who honour God are not devoted to money. They see money as a necessity but are willing to share with the needy. Rich people are often the ones who refuse to give donations to charity. There are exceptions, of course, and some very wealthy people, like Bill Gates, give to various charitable organisations billions of dollars each year. However, I suspect that people like Bill have so much money that they have no need to keep chasing more. If one is that wealthy, a few extra billion dollars would mean almost nothing. But the Bible has more to say about wealth, at least the gaining of wealth. In Matthew 16:26 is a very challenging question uttered by Jesus. He said, 
What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And we'll look at the answer to this after the break. Before the break, I read a passage from Matthew sixteen twenty six, where Jesus said, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And yes, it's so true. People may spend their lives gaining treasure, money, influence or possessions, but all that effort will most likely come to nothing. When they die, it will not benefit them one little bit. But those who have made an effort in their lives to honour God, to serve him, to accept the sacrifice made that they might be saved and given eternal life, their efforts will be rewarded with an eternity of bliss. The few troubles we go through in this life will seem as nothing in comparison. Another statement by Jesus reinforces what he said in Matthew 26. This one is recorded in Matthew 6 and verses 32 and 33, where he said, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you 
as well. Jesus is pointing us to what should be our main priorities in life. High in the mountains of Colombia in South America lies the lake of Guatavita, and there, buried in the mud, lies the treasure of the gilded man. Long ago there lived in that region a tribe of Indians, the Chipchas, and they worshipped a god called El Dorado, which means the gilded man. They believed he lived at the bottom of the lake, and they tried to gain his favour by throwing gold and silver and jewelled ornaments down to him. The land abounded in precious stones and valuable metals, and whenever a new chief was chosen, he played the part of the gilded man for the day. His body was smeared all over with gum and then covered with gold dust from head to toe. Shining and glorious, he rode in an elaborate procession to the lake, and there, symbolic of El Dorado, he leaped into the water. Then people cast their treasures in after him, plates of gold studded with emeralds, emeralds and bowls of silver set with rubies. The new chief climbed back onto the raft that awaited him, but the treasures sank to the bottom, to the home of the gilded man, and were seen no more. The offerings to the gilded man went on for centuries, and the wealth on the bed of the lake must be worth a fabulous amount. In the 16th century, Spanish troops invaded the land, and hoping to secure the treasure, they tried to drain the lake, but were unsuccessful. More recently, a British engineering company drained the lake and found beneath the water mud eight metres deep. Other companies have tried different methods of sifting the mud, but the task is so great that no one yet has been able to afford to continue operations long enough to obtain successful results. So, at the bottom of the lake of Guatavita, the treasure remains until this very day. If the treasure seekers had been successful, they would have become extremely wealthy. They would have had precious stones and gold in abundance. But you know, although gold may be very valuable and a very desirable metal, those who are faithful to God and who will be given eternal life will not regard gold the same as people do here on earth. In Revelation 21, verse 21, the Bible tells about the future home of the redeemed, the holy city called the New Jerusalem. 
The word Jerusalem means the city of peace. The new Jerusalem will indeed be a city of peace, eternal peace, where there will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain, and no more crying. A description of the new Jerusalem is given, and the Bible says, And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Here on earth, people go searching for gold in the hope of getting wealthy. There, gold will be in such abundance that we walk on it, tread it underfoot. And further to that, the foundations of the city will be made of huge precious stones, jasper, sapphire, chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, and amethyst. What a difference. People here on earth go to extraordinary lengths to get some of these stones, which are usually set as a piece of jewellery to be worn as an ornament. In heaven, those things on earth now regarded as precious will be in such abundance that they'll be used as building materials. Dear friends, what is your treasure? Are you striving for something that you cannot keep? Something that will decay? Something which will end up being of little or no value? Take heed of the words of Jesus. Strive instead to belong to God, to build a relationship with Jesus who sacrificed himself for you. Give some thought to the fact that Jesus regarded you as a treasure and he put aside all the glories of heaven to secure you so that you could live forever. Don't undersell yourself. God loves you and me with an intensity that is beyond anything we ever experience. He loves you even more than life. What a waste it would be if you spurn what he has done for you. All his effort, all his sacrifice, all his love wasted because you chose other temporary things that have no eternal value. Lay up, strive to have treasure in heaven. Friends, I sincerely hope you will do just that. Our time is up for today. Between now and our next appointment, won't you think seriously about where your life is going and where your priorities are? So, until then, I wish you hope and joy and peace.